this is so badass, dude. Like the definition of trusting the process. Two, what, two years, three like years, two and a half years, two and a half years of not getting a deal, dude. But still putting in all the work, doing the things people are telling them to do, mentors and other people, right? And putting that day in grind, day in and day out. Two and a half years until he gets his first deal, and then in the span of it's in like what, four, four or five deals in the past two months since that first one, and it's. That is the definition of trust, trusting the process. And that's dude. where everybody goes wrong because, I mean, can you imagine going for two, two and a half years not getting a deal? That would be pretty <sighs> negative vibes yeah. going through your brain. Can you imagine the, the psychological part that he had to go through to overcome? Yeah. Most people would give up. Yeah. But he's not. He's doing well now, and he's probably going to prosper through these bad times because of that. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, we are joined by previous guest and mentor of ours, Benny Clay. Benny, how are you, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing good, man. It's been such a long time. We were talking earlier this week and we were like, dude, we need to have Benny back on. <laughs> we we got you next to us again in our new office, which is really, really cool. And so um, I think we're, we're all three excited to just kind of shoot the shit a little bit and talk about some important stuff going on in the market and um, some good takeaways for people um, listening. So, Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm, a, I'm really uh, excited about this. Yeah. You know, when I think of like like my legitimate friends in the business, I feel like you come up as like number one or close <laughs> to it just because you, you and I, we've stayed close, man. And I think the the impetus to bring you back on the podcast is that like to this day, I still come and ask you questions about like, hey, how do I you know, what should I be doing to like navigate this market and things like that? And, you know, you've always taken a very conservative approach. We've had some people on recently that take a much more aggressive approach to the business. Yeah. And we thought, you know, it's only fair to balance the conversation by sharing kind of what maybe a more traditional um, conservative business owner might do. You know, uh -huh. somebody who's a little bit, you know, hedge your bets and make sure you play it safe. Yeah. So we thought, you know, it's it's helpful for these young guys listening to the podcast and for ourselves, you know, just to kind of, you know, elaborate more on your thoughts in a more conversational style. That sounds good, man. What do you got for me? Shoot. Well, shoot. So we're coming out of such a crazy time. Obviously, the three of us are in a little bit different spot than if you're brand new. Mm -hmm. But I thought I would just get your opinion on on what you're doing right now or what you recommend to maybe people who have had a little success in the business and, and what you think they should be doing right now as the banks are going under and we're seeing some crazy news in the, uh, or crazy articles in the news. Yeah, so right now we're really in uncertain times, which is hard to predict. So as an investor, you kinda, you know, my approach would be, I would rather be on the conservative side when it's more unpredictable. So with that being said, it's we've come from a market where I'm not trying to, say anything wrong or incorrect, but where everything came to you, you didn't have to go get business. It was just, it was easy. Things were coming to you. If you were just doing things naturally and people liked you, you were getting business. It was easy. It's easy to make money. Things all penciled out all the time. You could throw something on the market, think that you're going to make this and all of a sudden it's worth more four or five months later. So you're making more than you originally thought. I mean, it was all just super easy. Well, now it's kind of the opposite. It's like, you're going to have to go back to the basics of what I taught you guys and go get the business. Yeah. So getting back to the basics, calling more often, 
checking in with people more often, developing systems to follow up more frequently, um, watching your spending. All those things right now are super important because things have changed, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we've seen the same thing. We've gotten much more diligent in follow-up. You know, things are taking a lot longer hmm. to come to... 100%. Co- to come to a contract. And um, just like you had mentioned, you know, I think a lot of us... Oh, I'll speak for myself, I guess. I had imposter syndrome because it was like, wow, I'm doing all this business. But to some level, it's like I just timed the market right. You know, you got in a time where <laughs> it was got in just it, booming. 2018, yep. man, to 2023 has been a wild Money. ride. I mean, even in the beginning, though, you struggled a little bit just to get your business going because learning you're young and, yeah. and, and experienced, right? And, and Jason and I teaching you guys how to really dig down deep and what to do. And then you got a little momentum going because it right. was a little easier to get going. Well, right now, that's not going to be as easy to get going because of what the market's doing right now. Yeah. I mean, you touched on it a bit, but like, you know, that, that follow up and being consistent on your marketing, that's going to play a big part. Right. Yeah, I've gotten back to just the basics. I've gone back to calling my my sphere of influence more so on the real estate sales side, um, sending out more meaningful pieces of marketing versus just trying to just mm-hmm. touch them once in a while because it was easy because if you just touch them once in a while back then, they would just come to you. So I'm trying to get more intimate with my clients so that they when they do decide to do something because there's less inventory and less deals out there and less houses to sell. So that means... There's less opportunity, so there everyone's now fighting over the same people, mm-hmm. and so you got to get more creative, and you got to get. So I'm getting more in depth with my with my marketing and what I'm doing. I'm spending more time talking to people and trying to trying to build that uh, um, back as much as possible. Have you seen uh, like a better or improved response from your sphere when you've started to ramp some of that stuff out, like your outreach? Yes. So like reaching out to them, calling them, seeing how they're doing, not being salesy. Just how you doing, what's going on, how's your family, how's the business going. Coming along those lines, I'm getting a lot more reach and then I'm inviting people to lunch and dinners now. And so trying to get more intimate and meeting one-on-one, doing the face-to-face instead of just being a salesy guy where I just call every once in a while and all you hear of me is on the phone. So I'm trying to get in front of people more. So the networking aspect is getting I'm trying to hone in on and do more of. I think person. that, and I think that was something really big too. I remember learning obviously from you and Jason, more specifically you in this aspect, because obviously calling your sphere and reaching out to your sphere on an agent basis, right? And having that be really, really important. Reaching out and not talking about you or your work or real estate, right? You get the other person to, they'll start to talk and ask about that. If you ask them, how are they doing? How is work for you? How is your family? They're going to reciprocate and ask all of those questions back to you. And it's going to be a lot more natural if you just call them up and start talking about the market. 100, that, 100%. And, and I care about, they're all, all of them are my of friends course, and my family. Yeah. And I actually legitimately care about them. So, and they feel that. And when they can feel that, that you actually care about them, then they're going to want to do business with you over somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed, um, both on the investing side and the agent side, do you feel like, because you mentioned that there's less deals and that, I mean, that's a known factor is that less homes will be sold. Uh-huh. Not that the prices will necessarily be lower, but the number of homes being sold. Are you finding that those opportunities that you are getting referred to or that you do hear about, do you feel like you're competing with more people than you were in 2021 or 2022? No, I don't feel like I'm competing with more people necessarily. Sometimes, sometimes depends on my relationship with that person. If I have a really deep relationship with them already, then they're 
then I'm, I'm not feeling too much competition. But I, what I am feeling is just less people are doing anything because when there's uncertain times, they're just going to sit there. They're not going to make a move. And so I'm noticing there's just less activity and less people willing to do things right now, which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. If there's uncertain times, you don't want to go out there and make a mistake, right? Yeah. That's where I, my conservative approach comes in. You know, right. I, I kind of understand that. So it's like the ones that, that want to do stuff, they're – if I don't have a strong relation with them, I'm noticing it's a lot more competitive and I'm competing against more people because there's less business out there. So people have to reach out further. Yeah. You know, what's kind of funny too is is you keep bringing up that like, you know, like there's not that many people doing stuff. But I also notice that the people that are doing stuff, they're quick actors. Like You have to. The buyers that I'm working with, it's like the second they're ready to buy, it's like all in. Showings, offers. Because it's like they don't want to lose out on an interest rate that they might have been promised. Well, right. And, and like sellers, it's like, I don't want to wait and see what happens. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. You've got to be quick. So if somebody calls you and you don't call them back right away, you're out. They're going the next person. So being on top of everything is crucial right now, too. So you've got to be really, be able to respond fast, quick, and accurately and get that deal done. Yeah. Talk about... Um, on the financial side, I mean, you're a business owner, but you also have way more responsibilities than even Cater I have. You know, you have kids, a wife, everything going on. Like, you were preaching the same message in 2018 that you were pre- that people started preaching in late 2022. What was that? Well, let's see. I grew up in a very conservative house, which I think helped me realize that I should say there's a right or wrong way to to budget and to spend your money, but there's, I, th- I believe, a correct and an incorrect way, I should say. Um, so my grandfather owns 1,200 apartment units here in town, and I remember I, out of high school, I got a football scholarship, came back, uh, had two years left of college, went to Fresno State, and I'm like, I'm not going to play football no more. I need to get to work. I need to start making money. He gave me an opportunity, and the first thing when he sat me down was is he wanted to teach me about really how money works. He's like, listen... 97% of the people out there spend more than they make. And I'm sitting there going, really? And so he goes, yeah. And he goes, man, you know, that's why a lot of people get into trouble because they spend more than they make. You want to actually spend less than you make. And I think I, when you guys came to work for, for, for us or for me, I, that was something I told you guys from the beginning. And I was like, you got to be conservative in what you do. You got to put a budget together. What are my monthly expenses? What am I making? And that's going to adjust because what you're making is not always going to be there in a sales job. Mm-hmm. So that's a hard thing to predict sometimes. And so when times are less and you're not making as much, if you live under your means already to begin with, it's easier to weather that storm. And so that's where a lot of people, I believe, coming up are going to get in trouble because they spend more than they make instead of really honing in on their expenses. Even me, I am already conservative, but I started cutting back on my expenses not this January, last January, because I knew this was coming. And so I started looking at my book, started looking at the things that I really don't need, started going back through it, and I cut a lot of stuff out. And Even I'm, stuff that you really liked. Yes. Like you dropped the whole golfing, and you had been golfing for years, a couple, you know, twice times a week. A, twice a week, I cut it yeah. out. I, not only did I didn't have time, I my son plays travel baseball, yeah. so yeah. I realized I didn't have time to do it, and I didn't want to just light five dollars $600 on fire every month. Yeah. I'm like, that's just a waste of money. What am I doing? Like, I can't even play anyway. I need to concentrate. Things are getting harder. I need to concentrate on work when I'm not doing stuff with my kids. So I need to really hone in on what I'm doing and, what, and my goals and what I need to concentrate on. I've got a family to feed. I want to make sure that we're not going under. I want to make sure we're protected. I want to make sure my kids can keep doing what they're doing. 
it's important to me. Yeah. Well, and I think like to me, what was interesting is that you had been preaching this from like 2018 and like the same thing that you always told me was like, I mean, kind of pulling back the curtain. Every time I made a big check, I'd be like, bro, I just did this. And you'd be like, bro, save that for a rainy day because it's coming. Well, I remember you. I want to go buy this. I want to go buy that. I'm like, Scott, let me sit you down and go out and talk about this. And I'd get Jason involved just so there was two of us. I know. Just hearing it from me all the time. Yeah. You know, and he, you know, because he's pretty good about that too. And so, yeah. you know, I, I felt like it was my responsibility to you guys as young people, although you both come from a conservative family as well. So I felt like even though we were teaching you guys, you had that also at home, I think, which helps. Yeah. But what I mean is that like you literally from 2018 were saying, save for the rainy day because it's going to come. And when that day comes, you don't want to get caught with your pants down. And then now that we're kind of here, like we both look back and it's like a lot of our friends didn't save. Um, and that's been really tough. And like we've been stressed, but like thank God we saved. Like thank God yeah. we listened because, you know, we're not in a terrible spot. Yeah, imagine if you didn't where you would be. Yeah. So my grandfather and father always, I don't know how many times they told me, they told me a million times, rain is coming and it comes in all shapes and sizes. You don't know when it's coming, how often it's going to come, but it is coming and you need to save for that rainy day. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think the financial habits, I mean, there were kind of two sides of that coin, right? right? One being spend less than what you're making, right? Mm -hmm. Taking a look at your expenses, making sure you're not spending more than you're making, right? But then also the flip side being, make sure when you are making good money or you get a commission check that pops off or a wholesale fee that pops off, make sure you're taking a large chunk of that. And one, not only setting aside some for tax purposes, right? So you don't get caught with your pants down come right. tax season. Right. But two, putting it putting a big chunk in a savings account and saving for a rainy day like that's something i still like and yes i think we may have you know had some seeds planted just from our background and maybe our families but i think you and jason are really the ones who kind of poured that water and, or lit the match on fire and really did it cuz now it's i mean it's really all it's at the forefront of our minds every time we close a deal every time money comes into the account it's always being analytical and saying okay how do i you know diversify this money or save this for this and save this for that so i think having that come from you has been really helpful yeah, having those different buckets, knowing where to put that exactly. money and percentages and different things like that. I feel like that's really important to understand. So, yeah, you're right. Well, so, but then the other thought is that, like, sometimes people are too conservative. Where would you be putting money right now to try to stimulate business? Man, you know, there's a lot of things that have come back that uh, weren't available before. CDs, bonds, different types of things you can get into. Um, and there's always real estate. I mean, real estate's always going to appreciate. It's... Uh, <clears throat> depending on what you want, how high of a risk you want to take, what kind of percentage of return you want on your money. There's all kinds of different options, but there are safer plays right now, like CDs and stuff are now back at, I've seen four and a half, five percent CDs. That's not bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now to park some money in there to do that. Yeah, and stave off inflation as best you can. Hedge it off as much as you can. What about like, if you're a newer investor, I mean, <clears throat> one of the things that like I've really gotten into is like I'm hitting the phones hard for for sale by owner again. You know, I used to do that every week and then i took like a two-year three-year break because they're just there weren't for sale by owners that needed me and so where do you see that play for agents and investors oh you know it's hard to say right now um i think if people for sale by owner aren't selling their house because the market's a little harder now um i think that's a good play that's going to be coming back because 
they're going to put on the market and not be able to sell it for what they want and realize that the market's changed a little bit. And that's where as an agent come in and help them out and get their property more visible to more buyers. And right. so I think that's a good play to start start looking at. Um, I For me, man, it's just staying with my my sphere of influence, if you be quite honest with you guys. Like I, I've noticed when I concentrate on that the most, that's where most of my, my business comes from. Yeah. And so, but I mean, venturing out and trying other things, I'm not saying not to do because you got to kind of get creative sometimes, but you have already done that and are good at it. Um, some people in our office here, they circle dial and do some really good stuff here in this office that's really good to do. If you're got a listing in a neighborhood, you should be calling around that neighborhood and asking anybody else if they're thinking about selling or if they know anybody else or whatever. Right. It's a good way because you already have a piece of business. They're already seeing your sign. Why not call around in there? I mean, you should be. We should be doing all that. Those things too. And I think that's that's all important right now. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more too? I want to shift the conversation a little bit to a lot of people we talk to, whether they're listeners or not, or people we come across. Everybody really has a big goal of owning a lot of real estate, and a lot of people owning specifically multifamily real estate. Obviously, you come from a family with a huge amount of that background. Right. But I know you just started to make a shift here in the past couple months. Can you talk about a little bit what that is and kind of what you're looking to do in the multifamily space? Yeah. So I realized that the economy was going to start changing about a year ago. I was doing my research, talking to different people, and I knew a good buying opportunity was coming. And I'm like, I've got 12 rentals. I started making a good good run on that, um, being pretty successful with that and doing flips and doing things. I'm like, okay, I'm making pretty good money. But for me, it wasn't scaling fast enough. And I knew this economy was going to change and that there was going to be a good buying opportunity. So I did research and got um, and bought into a coaching program for multifamily investing. Um, this guy's out of Sarasota. And um, I started that in September of October of 2022. So just about six months ago, should I say. And did some networking, went to a lot of events and met some guys. And so I created a team that all of us have different skill sets. One guy owns 3,000 doors. He's a heavy operator, meaning that he's really good at running the properties, getting expenses down and increasing the NOI on them, meaning increasing the rents and getting the, the net income up. Another guy is a um, our underwriter. He's really good with numbers and accounting. He's actually an accountant for what he does for a living. Another guy uh, used to work for uh, UPS, and he would travel all around the Midwest, and he would build all their new facilities. So he's got a heavy construction background, kind of like me, my, my construction background. And then I'm bringing the investment side because I know a lot of high net individuals that are worth a lot of money. And so I'm going to be bringing in the money for these deals. And what we're seeing is, is in the first time in 30 years, the cap rate and the interest rate is inverted, meaning that before in the last 30 years, pretty much the cap rate's been under the interest rate. So you already have a baked in profit. So if you weren't even that talented of an operator, you you could buy something, you know, run it a little bit. If you weren't actually really good at running a property, sell it or refinance it and make your investors pretty good chunk of money. Well, now it's actually inverted where you're going in with, with, with the odds against you. So now you have to be a really good operator, know what you're doing to get your money back to your investors. So it's going to be interesting to see what these banks going down and what the Fed's going to do. There's a lot of uncertainty in these next two months. Are they going to lower the interest rate? Are they going to raise the interest rate? If they really wanted to get things to that 2% inflation, which is our target uh, uh, in the United States at all times, 
they would, for every 1% that they lower inflation, so that would be 1% of deflation, that means interest rate has to go up 2% and the unemployment has to go up 3 So if you do the math, we'd be at 10 or 12% interest and 13, between 13 and 15% unemployment if they wanted to get us down to 2 So it really blows your mind, like, what's really going to happen here? Like, we don't know. And so if that does happen, it'd be a good buying opportunity because if we waited for the cap rates, because cap rates will go up with the interest rates. If the interest rates do go up, they'll float. And if we buy at the top or close to the top where the cap rates are going up, then when we grab the properties, buy them, uh, do a value add proposition, get the rents up. And then when, because what they're saying is if the interest rates go up fast, they're going to come back down fast. Typically in the last 50 years, we've done research and that's what happens. So if we can time it pretty close to the top and when it starts coming back down, then the property's value, the cap rates will start going down, be worth a ton of money and we'll make our investors actually more money than we ever thought. So we're trying to time that and figure that out right now. One of the things that I just was, um, <clears throat> MBS Highway was talking about was that uh, this kind of works for every form of real estate, but um, when there's a downturn, it kind of is gradual. But the second that there's an uptick, there's usually a quick increase in value for everything. And so you don't want to wait too long because if you wait until you see that kind of bottom out and you see that little bit lit back up, history shows that it shoots up really quick. Yep. So you kind of want to time it a little where you almost buy a little bit before the bottom just because you can weather the bottom, right? Right. You know, and I think, you know, my guess is that even the smart guys that you're talking to think that this thing's going to pop in the next year. And so... We, I hear different opinions. It's really hard to say. I mean, I hear opinions, the worst case scenario I just told you would be 10 or 12% interest with 13 to 15% unemployment. I hear, well, they're going to have no choice now that the banks are closing. If they don't lower the interest rates, there's going to be a ton of chaos. People are going to pull their money out right. of the That's banks. Right, yeah. And to prevent that from happening... They're going to have to lower the interest rates and to keep, keep inflation the, and keep inflation. I, I think that's what they're going to do. I think that's what they're going to do, too. But I mean, it's hard. Who, kn- <laughs> who knows? So yeah. you, well, then, I mean, that's what's hard. That's one what's of hard the, right now. But one of the things that I think is really interesting is that you've put yourself around a whole bunch of people who are theorizing and who have at least they may not be economists, but they're at least people who for a living analyze risk. Right. Right. So, I mean, what do you think the right route is? I, I can't answer that question. Everybody's different. Everybody's situation's different. But you know, what are you guys going to do? Are you guys going to buy property right now? Yes, but we're going to be very conservative. Just like you guys are being very conservative on your numbers, we're not going to... So let me let me explain Let me explain the multifamily business the last three years. Yeah. So people have been able to buy something right now uh, in the last three years because the cap rate was below the interest rate. They were able to buy a multifamily property... Um, and run it off of Performa because rents were mm-hmm. going up really fast. Things were increasing very fast. It was very easy to increase the value of a commercial property uh, during these last three years. Well, now the rents are plateauing. People are getting laid off, and they're just going to stay stacked. They're probably still going to go up a little bit, but only like 2 or 3% probably across the board on an average, where they were going up at some things between 10 and, and 20%, wow. yeah. depending on what market you're in. So you can't buy something now, run that Performa, and it's going to pencil out. You have to be, it has to make money right now. Mm-hmm. So when we're underwriting our deals, we're underwriting them to make sure they make money right now today and be able to still do a value add and have room to increase the rents like we want to. 
at the risk of sounding stupid on a podcast, can I ask some questions that I think I'm curious about, but a lot of people, other people might think you, you were saying that um, cap rates are going to go up right now. If the interest rates keep going up, they have to. Meaning that the property has to be performing at a higher level or you have to buy the property at a cheap enough price. Right. 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 So when you're saying cap rates are going up, what, what you're saying to somebody who doesn't understand the multifamily world is that you have to buy the property at a low enough price that it still has an operable, like operating income. And then when the market gets better and you start making more money, other investors are willing to take a bigger risk. So you can Cor- sell for a lot more. Correct. Okay. In a nutshell, that's exactly how it works. So the the thought for you guys right now is, okay, what properties can we buy at a deep enough discount that they still are profitable in a hard time? So when the easy time comes back, we can then either refinance or sell it and make the people who invested in the deal a ton of money and make you guys a ton of money. 100% correct. That's accurate. Yep. I just wanted to confirm because I feel like a lot of people, including myself, don't fully understand that market. So it's kind of like, some of those terms can be confusing. Yeah, of course. And that's why I put my, I would join that thing. I want to get the terms right. I want to start learning. I want to start figuring this out because I knew that that was the end game for me. I, you know, I enjoy selling real estate. I love servicing my clients, but I don't believe in 401ks and those kind of retirement dot, different plans. Yeah, my it's reti- not your strategy. It's not my strategy. My, my strategy is investing all my money that I can into real estate because I know that that's the end game for me. And I want to get as much passive income coming in as I can so that I don't have to worry about that and I can follow my kids wherever they go when they get older. That's really my goal. That's a cool goal. Do you have a unit goal? I don't have a unit goal. I have a passive uh, income monthly goal and it's $100,000 right now, net. That's If I could make that, then I would be happy. I want to get to there, see how I feel. And if I do it soon enough and I can keep going, I'll keep going. If not, and I feel like that's where I'm at and I want to cut back a little bit and spend more time with my kids and my wife and we're... That's what that's what we want to do. That's what that's what I'm going to do. So I don't. I'm not. That's but that's where I'm shooting for. Yeah. Have you had? Kate and I have shared this, and we've had other people on the podcast who shared it. But have you had any difficulty, like, um, in this market, just kind of mentally and just keeping your head on straight and not getting panicked? Because I feel like a lot of the guys, including ourselves, you know, we've had moments of panic where it's like everything in the news is doom and gloom. Everybody's always freaking out. But like, you know, this industry. It requires that you kind of keep a straight head. It's tough right now. I mean, I'm 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 not gonna lie. Um, I was kind of going through a funk into this year, beginning of this year, and I'm like, man, I gotta I gotta start thinking more positive. You know, you're reading you know, the news; it's all doom and gloom. You're so unpredictable. You're like, man, what the heck's going on? You're getting nervous. Those are all natural feelings as a human being, and so. I was like, I got to start reading more. I got to start thinking more positive. So I stopped watching the news. I started doing cold plunges in the morning. And let me tell you something. I really enjoy my cold plunge. I, it's, it's changed me mentally, physically. It's, I, it's like it, it heals me physically and mentally. It's really weird. It's hard to explain. But I get in there. It shocks you. Obviously, it's super cold. Um, the benefits of it are it actually dumps like 250% the natural endorphins into your brain. Of dopamine, right? Dopamine too. Yeah. Um, and so you have consistent energy throughout the day. I can concentrate more. And then for my body, I played football and I had a lot of training when I was younger. So my knees always ached and I had a left shoulder always ached. Well, they don't really ache anymore because I'm getting that cold and it's like rejuvenating my body. It's weird. Um, I So that's helped me mentally. I've been reading more. 
trying to stay more focused on what I'm doing and just know that I grind every day and keep doing what I'm doing every day that good things will happen. Yeah, kind of a trust the process. Trust the process. I've tried, we've tried to instill that in you guys when, we, when you guys first started and I'm going back to the basics and making sure I'm doing the same thing right now. <laughs> Dude, <clears throat> I think trust the process is one of the most important things we've tried to ingrain in people on the podcast. Like we just had Dylan Miracle on a couple weeks ago and Dylan was explaining to us like, this is so badass, dude. Like the definition of trusting the process, two two years, three years? Two and a half years. Two and a half years of not getting a deal, dude, but still putting in all the work, doing the things people are telling them to do, mentors and other people, right? And putting that day in grind, day in and day out, two and a half years until he gets his first deal. And then in the span of like what? Four. four or five deals in the past two months since that first one. And it's that is the definition of trust, trusting the process. And that's dude. where everybody goes wrong because, I mean, can you imagine going for two, two and a half years not getting a deal? That would be pretty <sighs> negative vibes yeah. going through your brain. Can you imagine the, the psychological part that he had to go through to overcome? Yeah. Most people would give up. Yeah. But he's not. He's doing well now, and he's probably going to prosper through these bad times because of that. Yeah, I think, and exactly, I think the hard thing that I've always had is that your message and then what you do and and like how you act have always, to me, almost seemed like they're inverse. Because you like, you save your money like you're in a bad time, but you go out and you make money like you're in a good time. And I've always felt like that dichotomy was hard to understand. But like now that we're in this situation, it's like, okay, live like you're in a recession fiscally, but operate your mindset like your mindset like this is the best opportunity you've ever had in your life. Yeah, you have and to. And it's I think that's a hard way like a hard place to get to, but once you're there, like that's where you have to be in this market. You can't tell yourself like tell yourself, "Oh, this is a great time, like I'm going to make all this money and then spend it like you're doing that." You still have to save, but you have to convince yourself that this is like the time to to work hard and make a lot. I got to tell you guys a quick story about going back to the money, okay? There's no amount of money that you can't spend. I think I've told you guys this story, but I want to I want to say it. My grandfather knows this guy up at Bass Lake that when he started his business out of his garage. He made all the tags on your clothes. He had sweatshops uh-huh. in Thailand, uh, China, everywhere. Or, or, or not sweatshops, <laughs> but he had his business out there, whatever, and making yeah. those tags on all your clothes, right? He ended up doing it out of his garage, sold his company for $800 million, okay? $800 million, you think he'd be set for life, right? Well, this guy, because of his ego, went and bought a jet fuel business, ran it in the ground, bought this trucking company that trucked all the food for Wendy's, ran it into the ground, and he bought a $60 million yacht that he had built, wasn't good enough, sold it for like, I think $45 million, paid 60 for it, built a $90 million yacht, bought a helicopter, I mean, you know, it just list goes on and on and on and on and on. He built a cabin at Bass Lake that was only supposed to cost $10 million and it cost him $25 million to build. And long story short, he lost all $800 million and everything he owns is for sale. So there is no amount of money that you cannot spend. So that's where the watching your money and understanding how to use it properly comes into play. Mm. And the trick to wealthy to the super wealthy is knowing how to manage your money properly. That is the trick. And so then that's a hard concept to understand because it's super easy to spend your money. Oh, man, I want that Range Rover. I can afford it right now. I want to go get it. It's easy to go do that kind of stuff. No, I'm serious. It's super easy. 
But I felt targeted on that one. No, you I felt speci- I, I felt specifically targeted <laughs> on that one. <laughs> that was a good deal that you got on your Range Rover. It was, oh yeah. yeah. What am I thinking? That's different. I'm talking like brand new. I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah, like yeah. you guys go Lamborghini. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let me use a Lamborghini instead of a Range Rover. It's a little more expensive. I'll go yeah. buy a Lamborghini because I can afford it. I look cool in a Lamborghini. And then when the money stops, what happens? You sell the Lambo for a discount. <laughs> so, I mean, talk about as well. I feel like Cade and I have shared our opinions from being young investors about getting a second job too. Because like a lot of people right now in our industry, if they didn't save, you can't go back and fix that. So all no. you can do now is operate from a standpoint of learning and moving forward. I would say the best thing that you can do is go get a second job and live off of your second job's income and keep all your investment money turning inside the business. What do you think would be the right way if you've lost all of your... Maybe you made a couple of bucks and you spent it all. You're going to have to do that. I mean, really, in these times, you're going to really have to figure out, you're going to have to get a second job because there's not enough business to go around for all the agents that are making a living right now and all the investors going around you know, doing their jobs right now. So they're going to have to go get a second job and do this part-time, which is the nice thing about our business is you can do this part-time if you need to. But you got to swallow your pride and go get a second job. If you don't, you're going to hurt and it's gonna, it's, you're not going to make it. Yeah. What do you think about um, if you go get a second job, what industries do you see like successful people who, who kind of make that transition? Where, like we always say restaurant because that's what we knew. But have you seen anywhere else? I would say healthcare. Healthcare is always, really? well, healthcare is always strong. How can you not? I mean, people's health is not going to change in a bad or good economy. It's the same. There's That's a always good point. people getting sick. It's always doctors needed, always nurses needed. I mean, healthcare, I mean, if you can be in a, we live in a big healthcare spot. We're yeah. the biggest healthcare spot in Central California because there's San Francisco, LA. We're the biggest spot in between. There's, we're always looking for people in healthcare. You know, it's interesting too. I never thought about that either, but schedules like that line up too. I mean, healthcare, three, you're on four for days. three days. Yes, yeah, what I'm saying. And you've got four completely open days outside and it's not I'm, and you're making good money to to live yeah, on and you're making like 20 something bucks it pays way hour. more than the rest <laughs> than restaurant you know what i mean another but, one's a firefighter they were they work what one day on two days off three days off something, something like that, that. It's, hard to, it's harder to pick up a firefighting it job, is right? it is but it doesn't say it's not impossible if you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody you might be able to get in you know what i mean i mean just, those are a couple options that you could look at but also the food the fast food industry service or the service it always needs service. I think the biggest thing with that one is really low barrier to entry and evenings and nighttime, you can lock in. That's what I'm saying. So you can go Uber driving. I know there's Whatever. a lot of people that yeah. Uber drive on the side to do make some think, money. Do you think Uber is going to have some problems here? I don't know. I haven't looked into Uber lately. I wonder if transportation is going to see the same issues that other places are seeing. I worry about Airbnbs. What do you, You've got a couple, right? I've got one. How's it, it going? It's going great. It's not suffering, but it's in South Bend, Indiana. So I don't right know by how, Notre Dame. Right by Notre Dame, <laughs> literally one mile away from Notre Dame. Guess it's, what? Notre Dame people, they're not going to go under in a recession. <laughs> Notre, I, Notre Dame's not going anywhere. <laughs> I have reservations right now in every single month all the way through November. It's not 100% booked, but I have some to where it's going to cover my nut and I'll make some money a little bit. Now That's I have to fill in in between. Yeah. Hopefully I get some fill-ins in between, but I'm booked all the way out through November already. That's great. So it's 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 doing really well, and I think that's just location-based, right? I'm wondering, like, the people that concentrate in cities like here where when the travel slows down mm-hmm. and they can't afford duty anymore and people are getting laid off, how is that going to affect that market? I'm not a genius. I don't know. I'm that, that's not my model. 
But what um, do you think will happen? I, you know, I, I think that's going to get hit a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like we think that certain aspects of our our market are going to get hit too, you know? Yeah. Like there's there's always going to be a market like what we always talk about for a clean three bedroom, two bath, you know, in an entry level price. But I think like I've told Cade this a whole bunch of times, but I think like my price, like my home, that kind of, you know, four or $500,000 house that was 300000 in 2015, I think we're probably going to see a setback maybe. And there's a chance it happens. There's a chance it doesn't. I'm just saying, you know, it's kind of been a luxury that people could afford to make the step up. And I think when less people can leave their cheap mortgage payment to go to a, you know, double the price, I think we might see some stagnation in, in appreciation. Yeah, I think the market that hits the most when we're in an uncertain times are the luxury market and the second tier buyer where yeah. they're moving up from their starter home. Yeah. When things get dicey and things are uncertain, I'm sure you'll always have a market in the starter home. So let's back up a little bit. So the starter home market will always be there. So if you're flipping and investing in that type of thing, you probably can't go wrong, um, in my opinion. It's when you start stepping up is where it's going to start getting affected because there's the buyers get way less and less and less in that second tier to the luxury market, in my opinion. So I feel like those two markets get affected the most. And I think conversely... If you're like an agent, because that's a good chunk of our listeners, if you're an agent, that's a good market to target because they can't sell that home by themselves. It no. takes skill to sell that house now. It's going to take real skill to sell that house so, right now. You're going to have to actually hmm. you know, make sure that the whoever's selling that house is really good at marketing their property, because if not, it's not going to sell. And you're going to earn your commission, too. You're going to I mean, earn you're your gonna... commission. <laughs> Things aren't easy. You just used to be easy. You just slap it on on Friday. You got multiple <laughs> offers by Monday. You didn't have to worry no. about marketing or anything. No big deal. That, those days are over. I think yeah. about that one house that you sold. We had like 65 people through the house the first weekend. That 800 that? something thousand dollar house. Right there, yeah. And I think back and like now, it, that was a dope house. That I know, was a unique that, house. That house unique is not going to It'll sell today. No. But yes. I think, you know, there's homes in that price point where you're going to work hard yeah. to get an offer. Especially if they're not dialed in as far as finish wise. Yeah. If they don't know mm-hmm. if, if it's not a fixed up if home. If it's not a fixed up home, it's, it's going to be, be tough. super tough to sell. Benny, I want to ask you too, because we've been focusing a lot on, and this was instilled in us from you with running our numbers on the investment side, like always being conservative, right? And an issue... And I want to ask, how do you find, because I feel like it's almost like a seesaw, right? Because if you're too ultra conservative on the investment side, you're losing out on deals to people who are paying more. But on the opposite side, if you're not being conservative enough, you could be overpaying for properties and be losing money on a deal. What do you do? What would you say is the best route to kind of find that happy medium? Because it's so tough. And I know it's not there's no perfect answer but what have you done to try and find that happy medium you know for me i'm kind of just i i don't even know how to answer that question um because i know everybody's risk tolerance is different right so for me i'm not conservative side so i'm probably going to tell you that you better know your numbers and not get into something that you can't handle and know that you're going to make a little bit of money on because it's really easy right now with things that could pop one way or the other if they pop where the interest rates go up and prices are going to have to come down and you thought your ARV was at 300 and it drops to 250, then, you know, and good luck. You, and now it's really hard to rent it because your rates are going to be really high. Huh? Yeah, and your rates are high because interest rates are up. So if there's a lot of... Well, it's a stark difference to when in COVID, you, if you were wholesaling, you lock up... A, if you're 20 grand apart, you're like, 
fuck it, I'll sign it and still be able to sign it for thirty grand. Easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's 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 just a lot harder right now. It's hard to predict, and I don't want to yeah. say the wrong thing because I can't really give any advice because everybody's risk is different there. Different. Yeah. So I apologize. I don't have an answer for that. Well, I have. Okay, I have one last thing because I know you got to run here fairly soon. Looking back, I wish that I was more aggressive in COVID in just locking up scary deals that I thought weren't profitable, but then later I watched my friends make tons of money off of. What do you think in two years we're going to look back in hindsight and wish that we did right now? You know, there's this old saying uh, from Warren Buffett, uh, be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. So you, what you were just telling me was that you were kind of fearful when everybody else was greedy. And right now, it's time to be greedy when things are getting fearful. So maybe having a combination of being conservative but a little aggressive and maybe widen out your net and trying to figure out your system because your system's in place where you can get in touch with more people yeah. and try to get more deals that do make sense that you can get into. I would say that right now you have to, if you want to stay in investments, increasing the number of contacts of people you're talking to so that you have more deals to look at. Where before you can kind of get away with not doing that and just talking to a couple people and locking up a couple deals because you the numbers you had room. Well, now there's not as much room, so now you need to talk to more people and more sellers. So that mm -hmm. would be my advice. Cast a wider net now, yes. and then as the market gets better, reel in all the fish. Yep, and uh, there'd be a lot of people out there that would say, "No, you need to make your market precise." But I don't, you know, hey, I, it's just an opinion. It's just an yeah. opinion, and I, you know, I don't know. Well, well I, I equate that to, as we wrap up, exactly what you have told us before, right? That matches up perfectly, right? By if you increase the amount of people you're talking to, right? It, it all comes down to, to numbers, numbers, right? It's a, it's a number, literally the tagline, it's a numbers game. Like it is. That, that replays in my mind from you all the time. It's a numbers game. The more people you talk to, the more appointments you're going to go on. The more deals you're going to get in a contract and the more deals you're going to close. It's that funnel. So if the percentage of your deals are going down by 20%, then you got to increase your net by 20% to reach 20% more people or 40% more people to, to, to equivalent to for keep, that loss. Yeah. And yeah. I think the other thought there is that if more people are competing on same deals, you have to know that your conversion rates are going to go down. So yeah. if the market's going to go down 25% and your conversion rate's going to come down 25%. But there's a flip side of that. You got to go up. When things get rough and there are less deals to become, that means some people that aren't doing as many deals are going to go out of business. So then a the competition ton. could go down. Mm -hmm. I'm. That's one thing that I would say is that I'm experiencing. When I do see that there's another investor or another agent, I know the other investor or other agent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only competing against We're before. You're dogs. like, who is... John, yeah. Dick, and Harry. Who knows who yeah. they are? I've never heard <laughs> yeah, of them. You exactly. Know what I mean? But nowadays, it's like, okay, I know who I'm competing against. I know what they're good at and what they're bad at. And I'm going to, to, to play into what I'm good at and try to downplay what I'm bad at. And that's all you can do. My, my advice right now is to, to hone in on your expenses, understand your market, understand your numbers, because you got to understand your numbers more than anything else right now, in my opinion, all the way around. With your expenses, with your, you know, your business, with personal, personal, mm -hmm. with, with, you know, the market, what's going on. You got to know everything that's going on a hundred percent. If you don't know, you could get caught with your pants down and make a big mistake. Yeah. yeah. Well, Benny, dude, I'm so glad we brought you back on. I know you've got an appointment coming up here. Um, 
you are somebody who is actively looking to recruit uh, investors for multifamily. Some people who listen to this may have some cash. How do they reach out to you? You know, uh, email me, uh, Benny at riseabovecapital.com. So that, again, that's Benny with B-E-N-N-I-E at riseabovecapital.com. And reach out to me on social media. We also have a LinkedIn page, Rise Above Capital. Um, we have, uh, if you guys go there, you guys get a hold of me and we can talk further. Cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And thanks for always, always uh, you know, the advice and the opinions. Yeah, thanks for having me on, boys. Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Benny. See you next week. <laughs>